Good evening, everyone. I'm Ian James Wright from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to The Alphabetical Fugazi, the only podcast that devotes an episode each to discussing every song in the band's catalog from Fuga A to Fuga Z. And joining me today to discuss No Surprise from the 1998 album End Hits is Kamala Parks, who has played drums in many Bay Area punk bands, currently one called Plot 66, and who co-founded 924 Gilman, an independent music and art space that is an institution in Berkeley. Kamala, thanks for joining me. How are you doing? I am doing very well. Thank you. It's very interesting to talk to you because I am I currently live in the East Bay, and uh, I am kind of new to the area. I've only been here a few years. I'm from the East Coast. So yes. um, I've never actually been to Gilman. And uh, I understand, like, I, I think if I had lived here longer, I it might be like one of these legendary venues in my mind. I get the feeling that it really is. If, yes. if for, for listeners who aren't familiar with the venue, can you tell people what it's about and a little bit about its history? Because it seems from looking at the Fugazi uh, live series archive, they played there in 1988, 89, 90, and 91. So it was like a real mainstay for that band for a long time. Yes. Yes, so 924 Gilman is a an independent and nonprofit music venue, or I used to say it's a performance venue. It's been founded by people who are very, very interested in punk music, underground music, especially for those who are all ages. And it was founded in 1986, and... It was founded by, so there were two teams of us who worked on it. There's this guy, Victor and me, who used to do punk shows in the Bay Area. And we were frustrated in terms of booking gigs because we couldn't find a reliable place. Um, We would find things that were either illegal and thus (laughs) would get shut down by the, you know, the powers that be, usually the fire department. Um, or we would find a place, but then we'd have to deal with someone who wasn't from our punk scene and didn't like the look of our audience or would want more money money or whatnot. And so we were very frustrated by that experience because, especially for us, because we tended to book bands that were touring. And so it was very difficult if a show got shut down for those touring bands, especially. Yeah. Hmm. So at the same time, Maximum Rock and Roll, which is a zine or was a zine that was based out of San Francisco, they had money because they were actually doing well. It was at a time where you could sell lots of copies and they were selling a lot of copies every month and stowing the money away. And they were also looking for a performance venue space for, again, all ages, reliable, really to to have that community center that we really needed and lacked. And so they basically were looking in San Francisco, but Victor especially made an effort to go over and convince Timmy O'Hannon, who was the head of Maximum Rock and Roll, to come look at the space that we had found in Berkeley. And So at first, Tim was very reticent, but then he eventually capitulated and Victor brought him there and he saw the space and loved it. And then he also talked with the owner. And that was the even more important thing, because the owner, Jim Widus, um, was really wanting to support this 
project, he didn't want a daytime activity in his warehouse because he had a, a caning shop that he ran in the back. So he wanted it to be quiet during the day. So this to him was great. And we tried to scare him off. We tried to say, you know, people with mohawks and spikes on their jackets and all these other things are going to be coming here. <laughs> and he said, oh, that, that sounds fantastic. And, and it, that was not the reception that you would usually get at that time. And um, so after that, Tim, Tim and his crew were all in. And they really took over the spot. They really took it over because they had the money and they had a vision for how they wanted to run things as an all-volunteer, all-ages music venue. And so that's, in short, the history about how it got started. I could talk more about how it operates and how it <laughs> goes, but yeah, that, definitely. I think, gives a good background. Yeah, and it's of course that dovetailed so well with how Fugazi would operate. Um, you know, insisting on playing all ages venues. I'm wondering if Ian or, and Gee anybody else played in other bands before Fugazi at Gilman. No, Fugazi wasn't op- uh, Fugazi. Gilman was not open when um, before for any of the other bands. Well. Yeah, that's right. Because I think the Rites of Spring had come out before Gilman opened. Okay, right. And I and definitely Minor Threat, no. Um, and you know, I mean, Ian was in so many other bands that I couldn't tell you. But I, as far as I know, they never played um, Gilman before in other bands. Um, mm-hmm. I could be wrong though about that. It could be that the Rites of Spring played. I, I don't remember when I first met Ian, but my guess is they would usually stay at Maximum Rock and Roll, and I was over there a lot because I was either doing a scene report or helping with layout. And so my guess is I met them, um, that I met them, him then. And then, like, my band would tour, and, like, my band Cringer played with Fugazi. Cringer and Citizen Fish did a tour together, and we played with Fugazi in D.C., and, um, you know, that kind of stuff. So it's it's hard to know when I actually met all of them, but my feeling is that it was probably at the Maximum Rock and Roll house. That would make sense. Um, do you mm-hmm. think you uh, attended all those Fugazi shows at Gilman? Absolutely. I attended every single one that I was in town for, in addition to the ones that were at other venues. So I, they'd play San Francisco, they'd play Sacramento, they'd play wherever that was within easy distance of here, I'd go see them play. Yeah, that, that those must have been some amazing shows. And of course, I mean, I left this out, but a couple of the bona fides from Gilman is apparently that's where the first Operation Ivy show was. Um, Green Day played a lot there in the early days. Any other particular um, uh, bragging points that you like to, to mention? Oh, so many bands. I mean, great bands that you've never heard of played Gilman and bands that did come become more popular played there. So Actually, Op- Operation Ivy's first show was actually not at Gilman. It was the night before in the drummer's um, house uh-huh. garage. So it's officially, but it was their first official show, I guess. We could say that. <laughs> There's a little um, asterisk by that one. Got it. A little asterisk by that one. Yeah, I mean, the Offspring used to play at Gilman a lot. Um, the uh, We have our 
Crimshrine, like th- for those who are into the the East Bay scene from that time, we had Crimshrine playing there. We had um, Isocracy, Blatz, Filth, um, uh, Neurosis played at Gilman a lot. Um, AFI. Hmm. Uh, who else became popular? I don't know who became popular, but Chumbawamba played at Gilman. Um, you know, Subhumans, all of Dick Lucas's bands, Subhumans, Citizen Fish, Culture Shock never played at Gilman. But um, yeah, I mean, these are these are incredible bands. Uh, you know, and then and then bands you wouldn't necessarily know of who didn't hit mainstream, but were nonetheless amazing. The Beatniks were one. Um, the, uh, uh, I'm sorry, I'm going to say, um, oh, La Plebe, who is from San Francisco, one of the most amazing bands. I, I mean, it's just fostered so many fantastic bands, like, and it continues to do so. I mean, the bands that are playing there, it's, it's a real sense of community there, and it goes through changes. It's not the same all the time, but the bands that play there really reflect the uh, who's kind of running the place at that time and and their interests so it's it's a very dynamic space yeah i was gonna say in a way it seems amazing that it's still going strong uh in the year 2021 i guess despite i guess it's closed for uh, covid now right yes um but uh yeah maybe that reflects like how the venue adapted based on just who is active in in keeping it going but yes yeah, it's, it's so cool that it's lasted when so many venues like that are so evanescent yes yes do you you know if there are any uh specific plans like a timeline to reopen and have shows again i think it just uh i think it's i mean it depends so much our the audience at gilman tends to be a younger audience so they're probably not going to be vaccinated soon i mean i think if once you have enough people who are vaccinated, I think that there will be motivation to open it, you know, to the public. Um, there may be some soft openings where it's just people that they know who are vaccinated or whatnot who can come. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. Um, and it has had its trials and tribulations, certainly. There have been many times when there was a threat that Gilman would close. Um, but I think that luckily back in, I think it was in 2010, 11, 12, something like that. No, maybe a little later. Gilman became an official nonprofit. Before that, it wasn't an official 501c3 nonprofit. But they finally did the paperwork. And that allowed us to actually start doing fundraising for Gilman. And that's something I participated in from about 2000. 14 to 2017 or so um, with raising money. So thankfully we had, we had a, a cushion of money. It was supposed to go to buying the building so that we didn't have to keep paying rent. We could have more assurance. Um, but at least even, even if we couldn't buy the building, at least it's kept it going. Yeah. It's such a cool story. And I hope that, um, when when it gets back into being operational, I can I'll go there for my first time as a forty year old man. <laughs> Maybe a little bit out of place, but uh, it sounds like a welcoming no, no. joint. I'm 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 older than you. Don't you worry. <laughs> 
Well, um, yeah, I mean, the main thing we're talking about today is the song No Surprise from End Hits. Usually I, I try to find a little bit of uh, introduction of some kind for every song. And the main thing that I've been able to see, I, I haven't really been able to find anything about the band discussing the song in itself. But one thing that has come up a couple of times is that the name of the album End Hits basically comes from, and this is a uh, ground that we covered in the F slash D episode, uh, but just to rehash a little bit, um, there are these drum hits in the song, dun 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 dun, right? Mm-hmm. So in some interview somewhere, I'm going to quote from Ian Mackay saying, uh, quote, I don't know if you've ever listened to the whole record, but there's a little piece at the very end that says, surprise, end hits. And all it was was a botched attempt on our part. At the end of the song, no surprise, the song ends a certain way. And for mm-hmm. some reason, all four of us just forgot to do the ending. I don't know why, but we just did. So then we thought, well, we can just record it again and edit it into the end of the song because it was a nice version of the song. Well, it was in vain because we couldn't do it, but we ended up recording all these end hits ta 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 to go at the end of the record. And those were the mm-hmm. end hits. That was why the record was called End Hits. End mm. quote. So, uh, and also previous guest uh, of the show, Tom Gibbs, did an interview with Brendan Canty where sort of they mm-hmm. discussed those. And uh, I'll link that in the show notes if listeners want to check it out. He sort of like discusses with Brendan whether or not those hits are like uh, actually in the right tempo or whether they're starting each time on a different beat of the meter. So it goes pretty nerdy in depth into that. So uh, I'll, I'll just link that so people can check it out if they haven't read that before. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the only uh, real intro I had to talk about the song. No surprise. Um, usually I like to kick it to my guest first though. Um, mm-hmm. what, what do you think is the first thing that leaps out to you that you'd want, want to discuss about this song? Well, I feel like it's similar to a, uh, if you go to a, a, a uh, let's see, a, symph- a symphony or a concerto or something like that, you have these pieces and they are played in parts usually. Yeah, like And movements? there's always movements, right. Hmm. And um, you go and, and there's always this kind of awkward... Um, moment when if you're going to see it live where there are a few people who don't understand and they start clapping right yeah yeah exactly and and so there's that okay oh and then they realize that they they kind of don't get how things work and so you know usually by the third or fourth movement well usually it's four movements but usually by the second or third movement they they've kind of figured it out by that time and so I feel like no surprise has a little bit of that element of uh, like it stops and you'd go, you'd see them play it and people, people would start to cheer. (laughs) (laughs) And then it's like, wait, no, it's, it's not done. Uh, So then it would, it would do another refrain. Right. So um, I think that it has for a, a song labeled No Surprise that has this surprise, right? It stops kind of suddenly, <laughs> strangely, almost in a, um, you know, almost on a strange note, like on a, on a, on a, uh, what's a non-chromatic note. I mean, it's, it's a very strange thing. And then it does the da, 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 da. <laughs> and yeah. I think I I think the other thing with that is that it's just so rare to have 
space in a song, especially in punk music. Um, and not that I would, you know, Fugazi had moved well beyond punk at this point, but to actually have silence is, is sort of unheard of. Um, or it's rare. I'd say the only other person, the only other band that really used silence or anything is like Mike Watt and the Minutemen would, would kind of do similar things. And when you go see Mike Watt play, even now when he does the quiet items, everyone is very attentive. It's, it's, Hmm. it's a strange experience. Um, and it's a, it's a magical experience. And of course this goes back to the early days. Of course, the first song waiting room has this famous long pause right at the beginning so it's it's always something that fugazi uh dabbled in a little bit but yeah maybe on on end hits in particular um they just started getting really weird with it and um doing lots of interesting stuff like that so i think that's very well observed yeah yeah and i just think the refrain is really beautiful um after it goes back into the second part, it's just this, this expansive, incredible um, part of the song the refrain, it's not even a bridge. And then it, and then it, you know, goes to the end and it's just this, um, it's just such an interestingly constructed song. And then I think for me too, because at, at first when, when Fugazi started Guy's vocals didn't quite hit me the right way. Um, they were a bit too emotive um, for me. Mm-hmm. They kind of reminded me of Morrissey, who, while I love Morrissey's lyrics, the um, the way he sings it and and sort of him as a person, it, it it puts me off a little bit. So I always preferred Ian's songs to to Guy's songs. Um, but I feel like on the end hits record, either I had developed a level of maturity or Guy's vocal style. It, we finally kind of met in terms of like, oh, okay, I'm really liking, like this is I, I really like what he's doing, and you don't even know what he's really singing about in the song. Like if you don't read the lyrics, it's it's really hard to actually decipher. So yeah. even if you do read vocals, the lyrics, really, <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of like okay, surveillance, okay. Um, <laughs> but I think for me, the end hits record in total, and then in particular with no surprise, the 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 way the vocals are, the way it's mixed, the way he's singing, and then that in totality um, just makes it such an amazingly beautiful and compelling song, even though it's a very slow slow song or slow ish, I guess. You know, you're not the first guest to say basically that exact thing about, you know, Guy versus Ian. I I think there might be a real thing where like when people are uh, young punks, it's like, there's something about Ian Mackay that really appeals to them. And then as they get older, they're like, okay, I I see what Guy is doing. I appreciate this now. It it grows Mm -hmm. on you a lot somehow over time or over uh, the process of maturing. Yeah, I mean, I I still say going back to the early records, I I prefer Ian's songs, um, yeah. and so we're going to get into you know this Beatles discussion. Who do you prefer, Paul or John or George? You know, but I'm but not going to make you choose. No, no, don't make me choose. But I feel like earlier on, it, again, it's just whether it's the way it was mixed or Guy's vocal style early on in Fugazi or whatnot. 
there's still a sense to which my feelings are the same about it then or the same about it now it, for the early stuff. But then when I listen to the later stuff, there's something that he's doing or something about the way the record came together that is more appealing to me. So, and I love both of their vocals. Um, and of so. course, we get both of their vocals in this song, though. Uh, it mm-hmm. should be said, right? Like one of the first things we hear, um, of course, is there's first there's we have these very thick sounding guitar chords that are basically yes. from the chorus of the song sounding yeah. so good. Like I love the guitar sound there. Yeah. But then we've got one of those classic Ian Mackay screams. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> I can't do it. Yeah, it's amazing. It sounds double tracked to me. Yeah. Um, and but yeah, it's it's like a perfect it's, it's yeah, classics, just the, the, the word that comes to mind. Yes. Um, and then, of course, although Guy is singing most of the lyrics, Ian is singing the chorus, which is not very common for Fugazi. As much as they did some amount of trading off, they did not often do the thing of one person sings the verse and one person sings the chorus. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And yet, also, I was listening to this, and I don't know how much I really noticed it before, but his voice has a weird effect uh, on the vocals, um, when Ian sings the chorus, it's like uh, I'm not an expert, but I want to say it's like a Leslie, like a rotary effect, kind of mm. like a, a Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds sort mm. of thing. Yeah, um, it doesn't sound like Ian to me. Yeah, um, it, it almost sounds like gang vocals or something rather than like one person being double tracked or whatnot. It's 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 definitely there's some effect on it, and you'll have to ask them what what was done, but. Yeah. Yeah, it's um I'll add it to the ever growing list. Mhm. <laughs> of all the questions I have. Yeah. Um, but yeah. But End Hits is my favorite of the Fugazi records. I mean the the other stuff was impactful because you know the EP and all that was very impactful because it was it was just propulsive, right? Hmm. And um and they had very, you know, topics that they definitely want to talk about. And I think End Hits is interesting because it's not really as um, topical, yeah. I feel like. Yeah, that's, uh, I guess, Five Corporations is like the big standout as, as far as mm-hmm. <laughs> something that sounds like it's really, quote unquote, about an yeah. issue. Um, but yeah, yeah, you're right. A, a lot of them are more introspective, poetic mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. sort of little strange pieces. And this seems, I mean, this seems like it has a foot in both worlds to mm-hmm. me in a way. I have no idea what any of it is about. <laughs> um, and by the time end hits came out, I used to read lyrics like religiously. Um, but by the time end hits came out, I think, I think either it's because it's a, because of the way the the topics aren't as front and center and it's more about a soundscape rather than a, like, I want to get this message across. I didn't think it was that important, which mm. maybe is antithetical. I don't know, but, um, I, I, it's more like, I, I really, I haven't spent time looking at the lyrics. I don't know what they're about necessarily, but I love the, the, the whole of the record and how it came, came together. So, um, so yeah, I just, uh, I, I don't know what most of the songs, I have no idea what they're about and I don't even know what they're saying a lot of times. 
Yeah, uh, on this one, I don't know if I have that much to say about the lyrics. Um, what I will say, like, it's one of those songs that gives me a feel more than something that is um, that you're able to really explain fully. Mm-hmm. But I, I guess, yeah, the, especially this whole first verse. Um, hey, what's your name? Do you feel the yeah. same way too? Siphon fuel, don't make a sound. And most of all, don't let me down. It's like there's some kind of covert action happening yeah like and uh, maybe some kind of um like sabotage right like this Mm -hmm. this sort of quiet sabotage that's happening like taking fuel out of something uh quietly and like it and it sounds like a high pressure sort of quick scenario like these people are just meeting it's what's your name and like don't let me down yeah. with this with this job that we have. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, like I did, I'm just picturing people sneaking around in black doing something sneaky, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then the second verse, lock eyes, shared plan, no mm-hmm. CIA could understand, uh, mm-hmm. and then and it's sort of yeah. So I think my my overall impression of this is um, that in a way it's like a counterpart to the song Public Witness Program. Because um, we haven't covered that yet in this podcast, but basically, Guy has said it's it's sort of um, that song wasn't actually about any real situation. It's just sort of a uh, almost like sci-fi dystopian fantasy thing that he wrote about this program of people who are like standing around and like recording things and witnessing things, like a sort of massive. Um, scary neighborhood watch type scenario I guess mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and this seems like almost the opposite of that it sounds like a little fantasy about um, some saboteur group like taking on the big brother system in some way um, and saying like yeah no CIA or NSA can uh, figure out what we're doing because right. we're like this unstable decentralized collective so Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so it's all very vague but that's what i get out of it yeah it seems like you've got it all figured out ian i don't know i feel like i'm in the ballpark i feel like my darts are hitting the board if not the bullseye (laughs) Uh, um yeah i mean that's i i i honestly i only looked at the lyrics for the first time before we were in preparation for this because I I just it made me realize I didn't know what they were about so (laughs) and then I'm looking at them and I said you know same you know same thing that you just I again I think you have a much bigger insight into it than I do so (laughs) well that's very kind of you um (laughs) yeah I I part of me thinks that maybe the the real key of it that if I could understand it better um would be much more central is just the line defile define critique and salve uh he the way he says that it's it's almost like a motto like if this is about some group like that it's like the motto of what they do um and i guess there are a lot of different ways you can interpret that but it's like this is what we do defile define critique and salve so just maybe Mm -hmm. i tear something down and make it better is my idea of what that means right um probably my favorite part of the whole song possibly is when that comes back and he says critique and sell me baby that like, <laughs> that delivery am i right yeah yeah wow. it's it's truly an extraordinary song and so i was really happy when you offered it to me <laughs> as well, something to discuss 
So you are a drummer. What do you think of the drums in this? <laughs> uh, well, yeah. I mean, I I don't even consider myself on the same level as Brendan. I mean, he's uh, he's an extraordinary drummer, and um, he's a really really great person um, as well. And the only critique I have for this song is that his Liberty Bell isn't on it, you know. But he can't be on everything. It's like that cowbell, you know? yeah. Yeah, um, he, he basically has a drum solo in this song, right? Like the there's this funky little breakdown uh-huh. and like the the bass and I guess the guitar are doing something here and there, but it's mostly yeah. like a drum solo that happens toward the end. Um Yeah. Sounds really great. I mean, yeah, I I sort of long for an alternate universe where Fugazi really sort of like played solos. Um, cause we almost also have a gee guitar solo in the song also. I don't think I would go as far as saying that it's a solo, but. No, no, it's more, yeah, it's, it's not quite a solo, but it's a soaring. Yeah. It's that sucker it's, is singing. Yeah. Like that's yeah. that crazy, uh, saturated distortion sound. Um, yeah, it <laughs> has the tonality of a solo, if not like the, the structure. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they're uh, definitely amazing drummers or, or uh, sorry, amazing instrumentalists in general. And I I know watching, you know, various documentaries uh, on whether it's Fugazi or the individuals, you know, Ian, Ian does talk about how he was really just not very talented at first. And and it's um, it's it's really uh, what's the word? It's heartening to to sort of know and him being on display. Like, yeah, I wasn't very good, you know, when I was doing my teen idols or whatnot. Um, but then, of course, he just is, you know, just this amazing, whether it's songwriter or, or musician, just amazing um, transformation. Um, of of course, he puts himself down a bit, but. Um, at the same time, it's it's like yeah, you know, you probably you did it, you did become better, you did become someone who was a serious musician, and um, yeah, I get the sense that they all really honed each other's skills. Like I think being in Fugazi, just I I mean it it made everyone step up their game because they were always talking about how just the way they would write songs and practice they would just always be trying new things um Mm -hmm. doing new stuff like make and making it interesting enough for them to want to play it hundreds of times potentially uh in the course of touring and yeah i think that all added up to them just becoming really great at their instruments yeah yeah Um, yeah i would uh and you know shout out to the just just simply Guy's guitar line that he's playing during the, all the verses and stuff, it it reminds me of the song Last Chance for a Slow Dance. It's a little reminiscent of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it, it gives this great sort of, I don't know, this vibe, like the word vibe keeps coming to mind in this song in a lot of choices that they make. Um, it's It's got this amazing feel to it. Um, mm-hmm. Another one of those choices for me is what the bass is doing. Uh, mm-hmm. It's so sparse, right? It's it's like you said before, the way they create space in this song. Yeah, Joe's bass line is is a hugely important part of that. He's just like, I'm I'm not gonna play until like <laughs> the very end of each 
bar basically and it sounds great and it sort of locks in with the drums in this very appealing way to me yeah it it takes you have to set your ego aside and really serve a song and i feel like i mean that's what makes joe such an amazing bass player is that he he just serves the songs so well and it's it's without the ego like he doesn't need to be front and center he's going to do his job though and he's going to make it sound as good as it possibly can um yeah just, he, yeah he really like seems like the kind of person that would be great to be in a band with like uh, mm -hmm. setting setting aside just like being a member of Fugazi and that being amazing is like no he would be great to be in a band with because yes. he just seems like he's a great collaborator and mm -hmm. plays for the song and just always makes it sound really good yeah 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 but they're all you know they've all got their different personalities it's they're just, they are really, truly, um, they are their own people, they are their own person, but they also are just generally um, incredibly, just incredibly dynamic, fun, funny, funny people. Like a lot of times people think, oh, you know, Fugazi, you know, serious band. It's like, oh my gosh, so not like, so not the case you know whether you watch instrument or you spend time with them i remember brendan telling um i was he was uh fugazi was in town it may have been the first or second time i think it was the first time they were they were here and they were staying at maximum rock and roll and he was telling me uh, and there was a group of us he was telling us about um the first band one of his first bands and the in the song that they played which was like teenage psychopath i don't remember the name of the band but the song i remember it was teenage psychopath and he's like singing it he's like teenage psychopath coming after you <laughs> teenage psychopath you know and like he, i remember this and so he's playing drums on like we were in the kitchen of maximum rock and roll and He's playing, we, and we were laughing, and we were like playing along with him on the on the kitchen table, and then someone, some poor soul, I think it was Martin Sprouse or someone else from Maximum Rock and Roll, comes up the stairs and is like, "Will you guys shut up? I'm sleeping." You know, like they were right below us, and we're just like stomping and playing on the table and laughing and singing along, and and it was a great, it was a great evening. That's amazing. I I. Hope he, um, I hope he reintroduces that in some kind of musical project yes, in the future. <laughs> he should. He should, absolutely. That's beautiful. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I think we may be coming to the end of comments I had about this song. I think we covered a lot, and I think you're, you know, an observation you had earlier about, you know, the, the sort of song is movements and when they performed it live. Um, and you're right. Mm -hmm. I was watching a couple of versions on YouTube, and that would happen. They would get to the, like, the the part where everything goes silent and the audience would sort of awkwardly start to applaud at least yes. some of them. Yes. I think I mentioned a couple episodes ago, something about the, um, the John Cage, um, four minutes, 33 seconds thing where like part of the point of that famous, like composition of nothing but silence is just how the audience reacts. And, um, mm -hmm. uh, I, that happens in this song too. And it gives them multiple chances to react because they're, these these hits come in uh what is it three times 
and then there's silence. Mm-hmm. And then so there are yeah. multiple silences in which the audience gets to choose what it's going to do. Yes. And that's that's so interesting. It must have been interesting for the band. It must have been different every time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a, yeah, that's a delightful delightful part of watching this live. Yeah, until until everyone gets the record and it's like, oh, we know how this song goes. And <laughs> like, oh, no. We must remain silent now. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's it, it's, um, I, I'm glad that you watched the YouTube video. That's, I'm sure that was the experience. But yeah, the audience, how the audience reacts to it is is the part of the experience. And I think with the coronavirus and where we've been, you just realize when you try to do anything artistic, that's meant to be performed in front of an audience and it's not an audience isn't there, how empty it is and how much you rely on the audience to give you, you rely on that back and forth. You know, they're not passive. They're not sheep. They're, they're a crucial part of this artistic process. Yeah, and, um, and speaking of that, I I actually saw, um, and I'll try to put this in the show notes. There is um, one of Fugazi's shows at Gilman on YouTube. I think the whole show is there. I think it's the one from 1989, mm. um, and it has one of those classic Ian Mackay introductions where he sort of talks about, okay, this is how it's going to go. This is what's going to happen. No stage diving, and he sort of explains himself and. Um, there's one or two people in the audience who are like giving it back to him and he's giving it back to them. Um, and like that part for me of Fugazi was always a, a very thrilling and fun part to see is like Ian Mackay specifically interacting with the crowd and what he mm-hmm. would say and how he would deal yeah. with, um, with, uh, silly people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Silly people. But sometimes I disagreed with him. Um, mm-hmm. I remember at one point he, I think he, they were playing in Santa Cruz and it was at the start or people were filming and he was, you know, kind of chastising like, well, you shouldn't buy these bootleg live recordings of Fugazi. Um, you should just get a camera and film, film them yourself. And I'm like, well, that's coming from kind of a privileged position. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Not so. everyone can just at that time buy a camera and film it and, um, so sometimes I'm like, yeah, I, I don't, I don't agree with you, Ian. Don't agree <laughs> with you about that one. And there's much, I mean, he oftentimes said, obviously many times said things I agreed with, but I just remember in particular, I said, huh, I'm not sure I agree with you on that one, mister. Well, this, uh, is the part of the episode where we find out how much you agree with the song because it's ratings. And what we like to do is see if you can give this song, no surprise, a rating from one to five stars, but only in the context of the Fugazi catalog, your least favorite to your most favorite song. Do you think, Kamala Parks, that you could rate no surprise? I I would give no surprise a four. Strong rating. Yes. I was thinking yeah. about this, and the more I listen to it, I think it's in strong contention for one of my favorite songs on end hits. Um, mm-hmm. I, like maybe, maybe I like Break and Arpeggiator more. I'm not sure, but yeah. it's oh yeah, it's so far up there. Um, I really yeah. love it. Um, I think I want to go. 
even higher. I think I think I'm gonna say like four point seven. I'm gonna get. Oh, really... I didn't know that we could do we could do partials. Would, um, would you like to retake it? Yeah, yeah. I'll say maybe like a four point two. I mean, it's also hard again. You you're talking <laughs> about the entire catalog, yeah. but now you're talking about the end hits. So you're not being very fair about this rating system. I I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think I think the thing is is that you know break and um our peasant our peasant arpeggiator yes. is that how it's <laughs> <sighs> yeah. um i mean those are the ones that are just stand out you know how how could you not be moved by that you you have to like move be moved emotionally and your feet and all this other stuff but i think no surprise is a little bit not deeper that's not not ter- but it's it's kind of like a, the difference between a dog and a cat dogs you know like they're happy to see you if you like dogs they like you they're very like ah i'm happy to see you i love you and you say i love you too you you cats most cats are more like you may love cats but they may not love you until they get to know you so i feel no surprise kind of has a little bit of that same a same relationship interesting as a cat i don't i don't think we've ever uh, brought the whole cats and dogs dichotomy into this, but I can see <laughs> well, that I can see somebody applying that to Ian and Gee as uh, singers and songwriters too. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> Ian is the dog of the group, Gee is the cat. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Totally. Um, uh, well, yeah. uh, in addition to what we think about the song, um, I also like to go to our Facebook group. Uh, the Alphabetical Fugazi Facebook group and ask okay. listeners to the podcast what they think um, just to give a sampling of some of their comments. Uh, Pete Fraser says this is one of the most unfugazi like Fugazi songs and no worse for it. Mm. Um, Brian Mullins says uh, it's probably the song that drove me to appreciate their mellower side. Mm. Jacob David Levin says I never really connected with the lyrical content of the song. I think that Even for all of their songs with sparse and vague lyrics, this one just kind of missed out on delivering any real thought, provocation, or mystery. However, Mm. Critique and Salve Me Baby is always poking around my brain for some reason. (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that, Jacob. Like that that just pops into my mind sometimes. It's it's one of those one of those things that, that has that particular power. Um, Andrew Crippen says, if you can discuss Ian's vocal without talking about the Beatles, I will be shocked. Uh, you got me, motherfucker. You you nailed it. I I brought up Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. You are correct. Um, Jared Coffin says, the more I think about it, it might be about privacy invasion or po- even possibly about drone strikes, how one agency tends to destabilize and contradict the jurisdiction of the other agencies, making them both unstoppable and unaccountable. That's mm. an interesting take that I would have to mm. totally go back and... Uh, Re reread all the lyrics with that in mind. Um, that's a that's one to think on. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Although I feel like at least the implication is that. Well, yeah, it could be. Yeah, why not? <laughs> um, Justin Rushkalb says the this is probably in my top three favorite Fugazi songs musically. The palm muting of the main guitar riff on the second verse, such an odd choice for that part, and the kind of thing that made me fall in love with this band. I remember hearing that for the first time and just being like, WTF, who else could pull that off? Totally mm. sounds like it's a mistake or something, but it works perfectly. Yeah, mm. that's um, 
like I said before, the word vibe comes to mind, Justin. That's uh, that's absolutely like it. It's something else that's they they're really leaning into giving things space on this song, and that's yet another element of that. Um, let's see. Uh, any more? Uh, JJ Sorensen says, um, "I'm 25. When I was getting into Fugazi a decade or so ago, um, I had the luxury or burden of picking any record in their catalog to listen to." Their music was, at times, a pill that was hard to swallow. End Hits was the second record I listened to after Repeater. I loved the artwork, so I just had to hear it next. And melodic songs like No Surprise caught my attention early on and kept me listening, so I'm thankful for this tune. The song is fun. Um, fun? Yeah. It's okay. not the word that comes to mind for you? No, 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 no. <laughs> there are parts of Lots it that are fun. I, uh, Yeah, it's it's hard to call it a fun song overall. But they're, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I love it. <clears throat> and uh, Will Rockwell Scott says this song sounds insane on headphones. Shortly after the critique and salve me baby part, you hear someone very faintly in the background say what sounds like, "That's right, that's right." Um, yeah, there. <clears throat> I, I think that's not all. I think there are a couple of other interesting little vocal intrusions that are barely mm. audible here. But yeah, mm. this this song rewards. Um, loud headphone listening um in my opinion all right well i'll have to give that a try <laughs> sweet well let's talk about plugs my band plot 66 we just released on may 7th um which is yesterday when we're talking um we just released our first um seven inch that was officially recorded and it's uh it's it's I'm very proud of it. It's it sounds great. It's it's the uh, EP that I think is really um I I listen to it and I, it's uh it it fills me with happiness and joy. So, and that's that's not always the case when you actually are involved in something. <laughs> so, I feel like it's 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 uh it has four songs and so you can find it on Bandcamp. And you can order the vinyl or download, but the first 150 vinyl that we sell are hand numbered and they would also come with a free download. And the download has um, six songs. So there's two extra songs that's not available on the vinyl. And yeah, it's a, it's an interesting, it's an interesting band. We've got, keyboards in it which brings out the new waver in me and <laughs> and the lyrics are fantastic because our singer songwriter is uh she's a writer very compelling well done lyrics sweet well i want to thank you for just being sort of a foundational figure in local punk rock and and you know helping give access to uh people looking to put on shows people looking to go to shows it's really cool and it's it's always cool to see somebody like that that went on to i don't know affect the community in other ways because i know i know you now are working uh you you work for bart right as a planner bay area rapid transit for people who aren't from the area yeah yes i do i've been in the transportation world now since i studied it i went back to school and studied it so since 2005 i've been working professionally and and um, yeah, I'm a station planner with BART, and it's a fantastic job. And I just hope that BART will get its ridership back after yeah. <laughs> after COVID. And we're doing some really interesting things at BART. We're trying to 
a lot of our stations are surrounded by parking lots and we're trying to redevelop them for housing because obviously there's a huge housing crisis here. And if anything, the COVID pandemic has shown that actually commuting, we don't know if commuters are going to come back and we need to start thinking about other ways to accommodate a transit system that's used for more than just commuting. So transforming these, um, these parking lots that have lumbering cars that are just stored there for all day um, into something where people actually live there is a really exciting process, but it's very fraught at the same time. People love their parking. They're very emotionally attached to it. So (laughs) Emotionally attached to uh, lines painted on the ground, right? (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. And what that represents. Yeah. So... Well, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, the bringing the sort of punk mindset and ethos to that kind of thing, I think can only be good. So yeah, <laughs> thanks for, thanks for doing that. And, um, thanks for taking the time to be with me today. And yes. yeah, as usual, my plugs are, um, you know, you can reach me at Fugazi A to Z at gmail.com. Um, I've, I keep forgetting to mention it, but yeah, people who, um, donate every once in a while to basically defray this podcast hosting costs. Um, I appreciate you. Um, you're the best. It makes me feel appreciated. So thank you guys. Other than that, you can join the Facebook group called the alphabetical Fugazi and chime in with your two cents about, um, basically whatever I'm going to be asking about next, which, uh, you know, I can never tell week to week. Sometimes plans change, but whatever it is, I'll post it there and you can tell me what you think about it. I hope you'll come back right here next week to join me for the next episode when we'll be discussing number five. Until then, keep your eyes open. This is my life.